Uh, this morning we're going to be talking about the genealogy of Jesus Christ. And it's always very fascinating to study your own uh, genealogy. Anybody study their genealogy out there? Raise your hand high. Okay, how many go have gone back 100 years at least? Keep, keep your hand raised here, okay? How many have gone 200 years back? Keep your hand really high. 200 years back. 300 years back. Okay. <laughs> well, watch it. Stand up, Cindy. You're the lucky winner. We had some time. We had a tie here, but uh, tell us a little bit about your genealogy. Well, I have to say that it's my mom that has actually done a lot of it, but she's, we're Swedish. I'm half Swedish. My mom is full Swede, and um, we have a lot of family in Sweden still that we keep in t- contact with, and um, our Swedish rel- relatives have been um, really good about passing on the her- our heritage, and it's just amazing. We've seen... Um, I was able to go a couple years ago to Sweden with my mom and my brother and sister and to see some of the houses that my ancestors have lived in, Um, just the little brick ovens that they had to go way out in the back woods to go to. And just it's amazing um, to be over there and see the history because America is so young compared to Europe and and any other part of the world. So, yeah, it's a great a great thing to know your heritage and know your roots. Now, has that helped you uh, get a job or anywhere? Do you put that in your resume, your Swedish genealogy? No. You don't? No. Has it helped you in any other area of your life, knowing your genealogy? Uh, yeah, not. probably not, right? Okay. <laughs> it's fascinating, though. It really is very interesting. Well, thanks so much for sharing, Cindy. And that's the point, is that, yeah, it's great to know your genealogy, your roots, uh, emotionally very satisfying, but it's not going to help you get into college or get a job. It really doesn't have a lot of influence with other people uh, in your life. Uh, But it was different back in the days of Jesus Christ. Your genealogy was very important. Your pedigree where you came from, who your relatives were. And that's what we want to explore today as we begin a new series, uh, Not Such a White uh, Christmas or Not So White Christmas. I want you to turn to Matthew chapter 1 because that's where we're going to be looking at the genealogy of Jesus Christ. Matthew chapter 1. Let's talk about Matthew. It's interesting when you think about the different gospel writers, they wrote to different audiences. For example, Matthew wrote to Jewish people, and Mark, he wrote to Romans. So his book really moves along and uh, gets right to the point. That's what Romans liked. Uh, Luke wrote to Greeks, very philosophical, uh, and that's a very detailed book. Luke was a doctor and also wrote the book of Acts. And then we have John writing a book kind of toward a general audience. But Matthew's intent in writing to Jews was to show them that Jesus Christ was their king, to reveal the king, uh, to let them know that they rejected their king, and that their king was coming back. In fact, in Matthew, there's more about the second coming than in any other gospel. It's all about the king. Now, Matthew had a challenge up front as he worked through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit 
to convince Jews that Jesus was their Messiah because the Jews have been waiting for their Messiahs for hundreds and hundreds of years. And they were probably thinking, well, if the Messiah is going to come into the world, he's going to come through an influential, affluent family. Someone would be well-educated would be the Messiah. Someone who would be a religious leader would be the Messiah. That makes a lot of sense. But then you look at Jesus and how he came into the world. He was born to two peasants. He was born illegitimately, and that followed him into adulthood. They brought that up. Everybody knew the fact that he was born out of wedlock. Uh, he was trained as a carpenter, and he just didn't have a lot going for him in terms of people saying, wow, you've got a great pedigree. <laughs> you come from a very important uh, family. Uh, no, not at all. It was just the opposite. So Matthew had to prove to the Jews that Jesus Christ was their Messiah. And therefore, he had to lay out the genealogy because your family background was very important. When you think about the Israelites coming out of Canaan, or coming out of uh, Egypt and going into Canaan, uh, there were 12 tribes, and each tribe got a piece of land that they were assigned to, and that's where that particular tribe lived. And if you sold land, you had to sell to someone else of that tribe because that was their land. And then you think about uh, the Levites. That was a particular tribe, and uh, they were the priests. In fact, in Ezra, if you read there, uh, that talks about the fact that the priests, when they came back from the Babylonian captivity for 70 years, being disciplined by God, there were a lot of people that wanted to be priests. But as they went through all these people, they found out that some of them didn't have their papers, one might say. They didn't have the pedigree. They couldn't prove that they were Levites, so they were kicked out of the priesthood because they had lied or been mistaken. So that was very, very important to Jews. In fact, we see it in Romans chapter 11. Paul writes, I ask then, has God rejected his people? By no means. For I myself am an Israelite, a descendant of Abraham, a member of the tribe of Benjamin. There's great pride there. And other people noted that. Whenever Paul wanted to establish credibility with certain people, he would talk about where he came from and his pedigree. We look at the nativity story. Joseph and Mary went to Bethlehem, verse 4 of chapter 2. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David. Now, David was of the tribe of Judah, and he was to go to Bethlehem, Joseph, because that's where David came from. So you see, it was integrated into their, old, their, their lives and so important to them. And that's why we have Matthew starting out uh, with this particular argument about the fact that Jesus Christ was the king. Now, what was the core, core scripture that tied Jesus Christ to kingship? Well, we look at 2 Samuel verse, uh, verses 12 and 13 of chapter 7. It says, when your days, God speaking to David, are fulfilled 
and you lie down with your fathers when you die, I will raise up your offspring after you, your descendants, who shall come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. So who's he talking about? He's talking about Jesus Christ, right? Jesus Christ is the one that is going to rule forever. But it was going to come through the offspring of David, through the lineage of David. That's interesting. If you go up to a Jewish person today and say, what tribe were you from? (laughs) They're not going to be able to answer you because nobody's tracked it over the last 2,000 years. After the Jewish people were dispersed, they just didn't track that type of thing anymore. There's no record. So really, Jesus Christ was the last one who has an official lineage that leads back to David and the last one to claim to be the Messiah. And of course, he is the Messiah, as we know so well. Now, it's very interesting when you get into the details of this. Goes, this goes on for like 16 verses in the first chapter of Matthew, and we're not going to go through it all. Don't worry about that. But uh, at the same time, uh, it's very important. I know that uh, many of you have uh, died in genealogies. There's 50 of them in the Old Testament. That's how important it was to the Jews. And you're going through this, read through the Bible in a year, and you get to a genealogy. It all depends on your personality. Are you going to read it or not? Now, if you're an otter, you're going to say, oh, that's not interesting. I'm moving on here. And if you're a beaver, you're thinking, oh, I've got to read every word to say, when I read the whole Bible, I followed the rules. I read every word. <laughs> right, but many times you die there. You say, "I can't go on. This is so boring." But to them, it was very important because of the reasons I just mentioned. So we're looking here at uh, verse 16. And Jacob, that was Joseph's dad. All right, Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who is called Christ. So Joseph was the dad. The legal dad, he wasn't the blood father, uh, and uh, we have Mary, who, again, it was uh, the mother by blood. Let's look at the lineage here. Explain this. Jesus Christ's lineage. There's really two different lineages or genealogies of Christ. One is found in Matthew 1, the one that we're studying today, and the other is found in Luke chapter 3. The first that we're studying is a legal lineage. That means father to father to father to father, sometimes not blood-related, but it was the father that goes from David all the way to Jesus. Now, there was also was a bloodline lineage that we find in Luke chapter 3, and that starts at Mary and goes to David and goes all the way back to Adam, in fact. Uh, this one starts at Abraham in Matthew chapter 1. But the bloodline lineage speaks actually about, again, the offspring, the bloodline that ran to Christ. So it's interesting that there there are two different lineages here. One, that's the official lineage that goes through the father, whether it was a blood relative or not, and the other is through the actual bloodline. That make sense to everybody? All right, well, let's continue on here. Now, this is where it gets interesting. There's something called the curse of Jeconiah. Now, you've got to remember, 
that the Jews knew their Bibles really well because that's how they were educated. Their whole education system was based upon the Word of God, the Scriptures, the Old Testament. They studied it over and over and over again, and they knew everything about it. And therefore, they would know about this curse of Jeconiah. We read about Jeconiah being in the lineage in Matthew chapter 1, verses 11 and 12. And Josiah, the father of Jeconiah and his brothers, at the time of the deportation to Babylon, that's the captivity, and after the deportation uh, to Babylon, Jeconiah was the father of Shealtiel, and Shealtiel the father of Zerubbabel. So Jeconiah. Now, we're going to go to Jeremiah 22.30, and this is the curse of Jeconiah. God is speaking about Jeconiah, if you read the whole passage, but we're just going to look at verse 30. It says, Thus says the Lord, Write this man down, Jeconiah, as childless, a man who shall not succeed in his days, for none of his offspring shall succeed in sitting on the throne of David and ruling again in Judah. Now, do you see why that's a problematic verse? Because Jeconiah is in the genealogy of Jesus. And now God is saying none of his offspring shall be in the line of David. Well, let's take a look again here at this lineage chart. So we get the legal, legal lineage through Joseph, Matthew chapter 1. Jeconiah is included there. Then you have the bloodline lineage, and that is through Mary in Luke chapter 3. But Jeconiah is not included in that lineage. So what we see is, is yes, he was in the legal lineage, but he wasn't in the bloodline lineage. It wasn't through Jeconiah's offspring that Jesus Christ was actually born by blood through Mary. Everybody got that? That makes sense? You're thinking, how is this going to help me on Monday morning, Dan? <laughs> Am I actually going to share this with my uh, cubicle partner? You wouldn't believe what I learned yesterday. Let me get the Bible out here for you. Matthew chapter 1. <laughs> Why am I talking about this? Well, I'll tell you why I'm talking about this. Because God is in the details. God is in the details. Now, if God was not in the details, oh, forget about what I said about Jeconiah. We'll throw him in there. No big deal. No. No. When you study the Word of God, and the more you study the Word of God, you realize that it hangs together, that it is unified, that it makes sense. There's a common theme of Jesus Christ running throughout this whole book, and everything else fits together. Yeah, there's contradictions, and there's some mysteries, uh, not contradictions in the Word of God, but what we might think are contradictions, and people say are contradictions. But again, when you talk it out, there's an answer to it. And when you compare this to other books of major religions, like the Koran. Have you ever read the Koran before? You read that thing, and I was, again, just written by one man through some vision and written in a short period of time, and it does not hang together. It contradicts itself. It just does not seem like a book that really should be the, the core of a major religion. Well, that's, that's how Satan works, like with all major religions that don't lead 
uh, to uh, the God that we know. But when you study the Word of God, when you get into it, it hangs together. And when you think about the fact that it was written over a 1,500-year period, 1,500 years by 38 different authors, 66 different books. These different authors were so varied, so different from one another. But again, when we read it together as a book, and the more and more we study it, we say, this makes sense. This is well thought out. It all fits together because it was written by one God. So here is the point. This is why we're talking about Jeconiah. is because this book was written by God. And if we even get into the details about the curse of Jeconiah, it fits. It's the truth of God. So when you go to work tomorrow morning, you might not be thinking about the curse of Jeconiah. Well, maybe you will now. I don't know. But you'll be thinking about the fact that what this book says about my relationship with God, what it says about my work, what it says about the issue that I'm worrying about, the problem I'm trying to solve, my relational issue, I can apply the truths of this book and it will be effective because it is the Word of God. Amen? Amen? That's right. Thank God for the curse of Jeconiah, right? No doubt about it. All right, well, let's, let's move on here. So, Matthew is trying to establish that Jesus Christ is the king, but he is a very unique king, a king like they've never known before. He is the king of grace. Not a king of law, but a king of grace. Because as we read through this genealogy that led to Jesus Christ, <laughs> we see sinful people all over the place. Sinful people. Look at Matthew 1.1. 1, 1. This is how it starts out. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. So he's talking to Jews. He knows they're into genealogies. He's establishing the pedigree of Jesus Christ that he comes through the line of David, the legal line of David, and he starts out with David and Abraham. Well, let's talk about Abraham. Abraham, yes, he was an incredible man of faith, almost sacrificing his son Isaac because he believed in God but didn't. But at the same time, he was quite a sinner as well. Remember when God had told Abraham and Sarah that they were going to have a child in their old age, and, and they didn't believe him. Because at one point they said, we can't wait any longer. So Sarah said, Abraham, you have uh, relations with Hagar, our handmaiden, and we'll have a child and we'll help God out here. And he did that. So he had adultery with his handmaiden to have another child because he didn't figure that God could pull it off. Now, that's not faith, is it? And it's adultery. It's wrong in so many different ways. Uh, and then we think about the fact that he lied quite a bit. But when he went into a foreign land with his wife, Sarah must have been drop-dead gorgeous because every land they went into, the king wanted to take her as a wife. So Abraham didn't have the faith in God that he could take care of it, so he'd always say, oh, that's my sister. <laughs> he got into a lot of problems because of that, because he was lying 
So Abraham, yeah, he was, you know, someone we respect and can look up to, but he was a sinner. Then you think about David. Oh, mercy. David. David, we think about Bathsheba. We think about murder. We think about cover-up. He was a terrible father. He was not involved in the lives of his children. He did not discipline his children. And they sinned, and because of his lack of involvement, it got so much worse, and it was just a mess. But at the same time, it says that David was a man after God's own heart. How does that figure? Well, because David was a sinner, and God extended incredible grace to him, the same grace that he extends to us. Then you think about Solomon, his son. Oh, Solomon. When we think about Solomon, we think about the wisest man that ever lived. And that's true. He's the wisest man that has lived or ever will live. He was the wealthiest man that ever lived. He uh, was the most powerful man that ever lived. In that day, he had everything. Now, if I was the wisest man that ever lived, you would think, you would think that if God would have given me all of this wisdom and I was able to write the Proverbs and Ecclesiastes and Song of Solomon, that I could get, keep my act together, that I could live a godly life. Well, Solomon, Solomon's life was a disaster. What he did was, is he had all these wives and concubines. He was a polygamist, which was wrong and sinful. Again, God allowed it for some reason, but again, it, it was not right. It was not God's plan. And, and what happened was that back in that day with foreign policy, what they would do is they would uh, make a, an agreement with another nation, and in order to enforce that agreement and uh, to uh, ratify it, uh, they would send one of their daughters, and, and she would become one of the wives of King Solomon or King David. And Solomon really took advantage of this. He had like a thousand wives and 700 concubines. And, and what happened was is that the women brought their gods with them. And Solomon listened to his wives and he started to worship all these other gods. And he was no longer worshiping the God of Jehovah. And it destroyed Israel. It really brought the downfall of Israel. Solomon. Solomon was a big sinner. <laughs> they all were sinners, just like us, right? That's why we need the grace of Christ. But the most unique thing about this genealogy that we want to explore as we move throughout this month of December as we celebrate Christmas is the fact that he included women in his genealogy. And that never was done because women weren't respected. Uh, they were below men. They didn't have the same rights as men, unfortunately. And by including women, this really caught the Jews off guard, thinking, what's a woman doing in there? And, of course, the one that we think of first is Mary. Verse 16, And Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who is, all, who is called Christ. And of course, we'd love to think about Mary at Christmas time. And I'm going to talk a little more about Mary on Christmas Eve, but I think this is probably the best setting to talk very frankly about who Mary was. How many of you are from a Catholic background? Raise your hand really high if you're from a Catholic background. Yeah, quite a few of you. Quite a few of you. Well, I want to tell you some things about what the official 
Catholic theology is. Uh, and, and again, not all Catholic churches teach this, not all priests teach this, but again, it is official Catholic theology about who Mary was. First of all, you have the Immaculate Conception, right? Immaculate Conception, that uh, she was born without sin. That is not in Scripture, friends. You can't find it anywhere. All right? It's not true. It's a false doctrine. Then you have the doctrine that she had a sinless nature. Not found in Scripture. It's not true. In fact, uh, Mary needed Jesus just as much as anyone of us did. She needed Jesus Christ to save her from the penalty of her sin. Third thing, perpetual virginity. I don't know. It talks about her children in Scripture quite a bit. <laughs> yeah, again, not true. The assumption of Mary. Again, Mary not dying but ascending into heaven. Not found in Scripture. Five, uh, this is very concerning, uh, being a co-redemptrix. The fact that she's seen as a mediator between us and Jesus, that she's almost equal to Jesus in salvation. Not true! Really, heresy. That, that, that is just not true in any sense. But it's taught very widely. Uh, why is this? Why is there so much emphasis put on Mary? Well, again, back, way, way back when, one of the reasons is that when Constantine became the emperor of Rome, he adopted Christianity as the um, one religion. And so all these pagans were forced to become Christians or at least play Christians. And they had this sun goddess that they just loved. And so what they did is they took Mary and they put her uh, at the level of the sun goddess. And when you look through this list, this describes Jesus Christ, right? Immaculate conception, sinless nature, not virginity, but assumption and, and being the Redeemer. They're really making Mary like Jesus. That's what happened a long time ago, and it just carried forward. But it's a false teaching. But the thing that I'm most concerned about official Catholic teaching is that it teaches that you must do good works to be saved. That is the thing that I'm most concerned about. There are many things that the Catholic Church, Church teaches that is right on, uh, but that's the one I'm most concerned about, even more than Mary. Uh, you can't be saved by your good works. They teach that you have to keep on performing for God to make sure you're going to heaven. And we know that that's not the case. We can't do anything. It's only by what Jesus Christ has done for us. Now, if you're newer here at Springbrook and you're a Catholic, uh, you know, I'm sorry if you were offended in any way. But I just have to share the truth. Right? I have to share the truth, and I would love to talk with you, or you can talk with someone else. Uh, but it's so important that we know about who Mary really was. And, and, and she was special only because God chose her. Only because God chose her was she special. And that's the only reason we're special, is because God chose us. All right. Well, that's the first woman. Uh, it's interesting, one more passage about her. We read Mark 3, 31 through 34. And his mother and his brothers, where did they come from, right? Okay. Uh, standing outside, they sent to him and called him. And a crowd was sitting around him, and they said to him, Your mother and your brothers are outside seeking you. 
And Jesus answered them, Who are my mother and my brothers? And looking about at those who sat around him, he said, Here are my mother and brothers. Now you would think, going back to Catholic theology, if Mary was so important that Jesus would have said, Well, bring her in. This is Mary we're talking about. Let's have Mary teach for a while. No. No, what are you talking about? Those aren't my mother and brothers out there spiritually. He's talking spiritually here, not physically. My mother and brothers are here, the people who are following me, the people who are putting faith in me. These are my spiritual mother and brothers. That's the point, right? Again, we are so grateful about how God used Mary, and we respect her. At the same time, we do not worship her. All right, we continue on here. Uh, second lady in the genealogy, uh, Matthew 1.3, And Judah, the father of Perez, and Zerah by Tamar, and Perez, the father of Hezron, and Hezron, the father of Ram. Tamar, we're going to talk about her in a couple weeks. And uh, is one very, very interesting story found in Genesis chapter uh, 38. I encourage you to go home and read it uh, this afternoon. Uh, it's a pretty uh, lurid story. It's about Tamar, who is married to Ur, E-R, and Ur was the oldest son of Judah. And what happens is, is that Ur dies early, and Judah has a responsibility, and this is how God set things up, that if, you're, if your uh, husband died, that uh, you would have a child, or be, you become the wife of another man in the family and have a child in order that your line might continue, in order that you might have a lineage. But Judah really dropped the ball. He sinned against Tamar. So Tamar decided to trick him, and what she did was that she dressed up as a prostitute in order to have relations with her father-in-law, and two twins came out of that. How twisted is that? That is pretty, pretty out there, isn't it? And here she is found in the genealogy of Jesus Christ. What does that teach us? That God uses sinful, broken people to do His work in this world. The story of Tamar. We'll talk more about that. Uh, then we go on in verse 5 of Matthew 1, And Salmon, the father of Boaz, by Rahab. Rahab. She's included. And this one would really catch the Jews' attention because she, I mean, Tamar, that's quite a story there. But, I mean, Rahab, she was a professional prostitute. She had chosen the trade. And uh, if you remember the story about the Israelites taking the city of Jericho, they went on a reconnaissance mission into the city, and they found Rahab, and they uh, asked her for help, and she gave the help, and then she asked them, please save my family, and they eventually did. And then uh, she married uh, Solomon and uh, brought up about Boaz. So there you have it, <laughs> a prostitute who was brought out, saved, the only person saved when Jericho uh, was taken over. And here she becomes part, part of the lineage of Jesus Christ. And I just love this. I don't know about you, because I know I'm a sinner. And 
I am really no big, bigger a sinner than a prostitute when it comes right down to it. Because I'm just sinful. And a prostitute is sinful too. She's sinning in a different way. But she's not a bigger sinner than I, is she? No. We, you know, we're just all sinners together. And uh, we can't have a relationship with God because of it. Now, because of a lot of different factors, we manifest our sinful nature in different ways. But we're all in the same boat. And Rahab uh, was chosen uh, by God in a very special uh, way. Now, we have a beautiful story in Ruth. Now, what's odd about Ruth being in here, she wasn't even a Jew. She was a Moabite. And, oh, they hated uh, the Moabites like they hated uh, the Samaritans. She was a Gentile. And, and there she is, right in the middle of the genealogy. And we'll talk about her. Uh, Matthew 1, 6, And Jesse the father of David the king, and David was the father of Solomon by the wife of Uriah. And that's, of course, of course Bathsheba, other than Mary, probably the best known, uh, uh, infamously, <laughs> for what she did with David. Yeah, it's quite a colorful list, isn't it? And you're thinking, Dan, a Christmas series, really? What's going on? <laughs> well, I tell you what, friends, Christmas is all about Jesus Christ coming into this world to extend His loving offer of grace and salvation to broken people. So who better to talk about during this wonderful month than broken people? Broken people that God used. God uses broken people. God saves broken people. God restores broken people. I just want to challenge you to bring your friends to this series. Christmas, December is the number one month of the year when people come to church. Of course, you've got Easter, number one, but uh, Christmas is next. So I would encourage you uh, to bring them out. Bring them out to this series. I'll find it very interesting. <laughs> uh, also, Christmas Eve, uh, bring them out. Uh, but let's reach out to those people in our lives who are broken. Let's, again, think about our one life. Let's think about that gospel friend. And, and as we go through this busy month, let, let's keep our eyes on people who don't have the only gift that really matters. And so as you, you're out there buying all kinds of gifts and all that kind of stuff, continue every time you buy a gift, think about the most important gift that was ever given. And think about the people who God brings to your mind who don't have that gift. And pray throughout this month, every day, for that person, that gospel friend, who you'd like to see come to know Jesus. And if appropriate, invite them out uh, to a service. That is our mission in this world, is to bring people to Jesus and grow them up in Jesus. And we need to take that uh, very seriously. Let's look at uh, the series that we're going to have here, a not-so-white Christmas, uh, December 1st and 2nd. We're talking about Jesus' family tree. Next week in Bathsheba's bath. Uh, weekend after that, Tamar's trick. Uh, then Rahab's rope. And Mary's miracle on Christmas Eve. And finally, Ruth's romance. Very good. Let's pray together. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for this genealogy. And so many of us have passed over it as we've read the book of Matthew and said, oh, yeah, whatever. But, Lord, you put it in there for a very strategic reason, as we talked about today. 
and mostly to show that you are the king of grace. And what a wonderful king to have because we need all kinds of grace. I pray that we would uh, keep our eyes on you and that we would continue to come to you, to your throne of grace, where we can pour out our heart and repent of our sin and lean on you. Lord, I pray that you would continue to transform us. In Christ's name, amen.